The views expressed in our episode are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Catfish Cops. My name is Tony Godwin. And my name is Brandon Poor. We are so excited today to have you join us as we talk about something we've sort of teased for a long time, right, Tony? A long time. Like, oh my gosh, a long time. We, I think we first brought this up, like, uh, I don't know, pre-summer of last year during COVID yeah. and all that. So we're going to do a shout out Um because you're going to get to hear firsthand why we're shouting out today to the DCAC, um, specifically the upcoming Crimes Against Children Conference. And we're, we're pleased to not be the announcers of it, but to tell you that it is back in person this oh, year. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of interesting and cool stuff coming from that. And we will, of course, keep you updated as far as what's going to happen if you're in the field and are planning on attending. Um, we will see you and hopefully some really cool stuff we can announce later on. But without further ado, who are we Who are we talking to, Tony? Well, we have two very special guests, Lana Ahrens from the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center. Welcome, Lana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're so glad to have you join us. We know it's uh, very late in the day and probably everybody's ready for... Uh, a little downtime and going to sleep. So we're going to be as respectful with time as we possibly can. So thank you for joining. And then the infamous, the world famous, Mr. <laughs> Bill Walsh. We finally have you here, sir. Thank you for joining us. Nice to be with you guys. And it's nice. Isn't like we don't normally, uh, already? well, we don't normally ever do any video and, 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 you know, we just, I'm the odd person out cause I don't have a camera on this particular one but uh seeing everybody i figured out what's going on brandon you you have some kind of filter because i see you're by a window and your microphone keeps sort of blanking in and out so oh, i don't know why that is but i didn't set it to be that i'm actually yeah I'm yeah not, it looks like I'm you're in a window looks like you're at a like a skyscraper or something but uh at a beach resort <laughs> <laughs> anyway we are so grateful to have you guys on the uh, podcast uh I'm kind of uh, fanning a little bit, you know. This is uh, this has been a big thing we wanted to do for a very long time, so I'm glad the schedule's worked out. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, let's sort of do a little bit of introduction. Um, I'm going to start with Bill because we're going to sort of take a little um, tour down memory lane of sort of DCAC and the Crimes Conference, and then we're going to talk about what you did and what you still do with all of that. Lana's going to come in and sort of chime in about her role and what she, her background is, but start at the beginning, Bill, tell us, tell us a little bit about you and, and where you came from and what your, what your start in this field is. Well, I'm actually, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I moved to Dallas in 1978 to join the Dallas police department. Wow. Uh, and I served as a patrol officer and a patrol sergeant, a patrol lieutenant. And then eventually I had an opportunity to go to CID into what was like the juvenile division. And when I was there for a little while, uh, I started to see how we handed child abuse cases and knew we needed to do a, a better job and actually uh, assume control of the child abuse unit. And that gave me some more insight into how police and CPS could and should work together and we decided we needed to improve the way we were doing it in Dallas. And that was really the start. So wow. what was, when you say improve the way, what was sort of the way things were done when you came into that, that role? But there was a, a lot of coordination with Child Protective Services. And I, I remember I had reached out to CPS supervisors and told them that we wanted to work closely with them and, you know, maybe do joint interviews and joint investigations and, 
they took me up on the offer one Friday afternoon. I got a call and said that they had a a child who made a disclosure at school and they brought her to their office. Uh, and the perpetrator had already been made aware by them. This shows the lack of coordination. And he was on his way to the office also. So I was going to send a detective out there, but there was not one to be had in the office on a Friday afternoon. And you guys can understand that, right? Detectives <laughs> are busy Friday right. afternoon. It's still like that, right? Yeah. O'clock. So I ran out there myself. Not that I knew what I was going to do when I got there, having never been a, an actual detective. And I got out there and found a child who, you know, was being interviewed by the CPS workers and their parents were in the next room, you know, saying that the child was lying about what had happened. And CPS had already taken a written affidavit from this little girl and, you know, about what had happened and what the abuse entailed. But what really got me is on the last page of the affidavit in big block letters, she wrote, please help me. Oh, it broke my heart because they were talking about sending her to foster care that night because the parents, you know, especially the mother, didn't believe the allegation. And I thought, this is terrible. This is not how we should be doing this. And I had the, the luck, I guess, to go next door and talk to the offender by himself and elicit a confession from him. Wow. So instead of him going, you know, the, the child going to foster care, he went to jail that night. And the craziest thing, and, you know, Liner and people in this field understand this now, after I went in and told the mother that, you know, her husband had confessed, he goes, she said, I thought he was doing something oh. <laughs> minutes before she was proclaiming oh. his innocence. And I think that planted a seed in my mind that we needed to do a better job. And, you know, I knew about the, the model in Huntsville, Alabama, you know, the first children's advocacy center in the country. And I actually had occasion to go out and visit it. And then when I came back to Dallas months later, I heard about a conference put, being put on in San, Di San Diego or Santa Monica on how to start an advocacy center. And myself and a local prosecutor went out there and watched and listened to what other people had done in their communities. And we said, we can do that in Dallas. And we came back and, and on the plane, we said, we're going to call it the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. I, I look back <laughs> and laugh. You know, these grandiose plans were the cop and a prosecutor. But we went out and started talking to people and you caught the attention of the local newspapers who wrote a story about what we were trying to do. And as luck would have it, uh, Rena Peterson wrote a story in the morning news about learning from McMartin, the infamous McMartin child abuse case and how this cop and prosecutor are trying to do something different. And that got people interested in what we were trying to do. Now, we were just two people. We didn't have a nonprofit, you know, agency or 501c3 designation. And somebody called us up and said they were in a nonprofit that was going out of business and they wanted to give us $25,000. Oh, wow. they could only do that though if we were a nonprofit. So we went out quickly and became incorporated as a nonprofit and took that $25,000. And continued our talk about how we were going to start this advocacy center. And the good fortune, and I got to say, looking back, this was meant to happen because all these things fell into place. There was nothing I did. It was all the people that we got involved that made this happen. And I had the very good fortune to be speaking at a group where a woman come up to me and she said, do you know Ruth Altshuler? And I said, no, I don't know who that is. She goes, well, she's someone that could really help you get this project off the ground. And she had us go out and meet with Ruth Altshuler. And she was right. Ruth was one of those powerhouse people in Dallas society. We made our pitch to Ruth. And she finally agreed to serve as our honorary chairperson. And once that happened, things started to fall into place. She knew how to structure a board. She knew how to get people involved. Uh, uh, later, we heard the story from Ruth that all the time we were making our pitch to her, her husband was standing behind us, shaking his head, not for her to get involved. <laughs> but she couldn't turn us down. She got involved. And the rest was history. You know, we started looking for a place to have the center. Uh, we found a building on Swiss Avenue that was for sale. And we called Ruth up and we used to check in with her until it was happening. And so we found the perfect place, Ruth. It's on Swiss Avenue. It's an old Victorian home and it's for sale. And it was like $700,000. And Ruth said, tell them we'll buy it. We had $25,000 <laughs> and said, Ruth said, 
tell them to buy it. We'll buy it and we'll make it happen. And, you know, we did buy it and we closed on that property, you know, and we got a grant. As a matter of fact, while I was working on this, someone from the city told us about a community development block grant. We went down and got the application in one week from when we took the grant and uh, uh, someone who's worked with me on both the center and the advocacy center, Leanne Lozano and myself and the prosecutor worked on that grant for a week, got it submitted and eventually was granted, I think, like $600,000 from the city of Dallas. But that money was not going to be delivered before we had to close on the property. And Ruth made that happen. She got a bridge loan from a bank. We closed on the property and and we bought the property and we owned it free and clear all the time we were there. Wow. Wow. We're just very fortunate. I mean, we had the greatest people involved as board members and volunteers, staff. And Lana can attest to, you know, the great great people that have been involved in getting that project off the ground to take it from where it was to where it is today. Well, Bill, you're, you're a super humble guy. And I know all of the accolades that, uh, you know, you're, Tony, I got a lot to be humble about, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, listen, like to me, like you're such a pioneer in this, your vision to see that, you know, listen, there's a problem and we need to bridge that gap for the betterment of children as a whole, because there's a lot of things falling through the cracks. And so I would imagine, I mean, I, I don't know, like I, I I could just imagine the, the way things were done, you know, pre DCAC um, and some of the things that were taking place and, and gosh, man, some of the children that were returned right back into, uh, you know, offenders hands and, and, Oh, that's just, you know, makes you sick to your stomach. But uh, so man, I know, there's a lot of people behind you, but, uh, my gosh, man, that is such an amazing legacy. And, uh, I'm just grateful to know you. <laughs> okay. Did you run into resistance? Um, because I know that cops are really, oh, oh, are, sure. they love change and you know, all of the things that go <laughs> into change. So no, oh, you're not kidding. As a matter of fact, I, I look back on it and realize, you know, not only resistance from the troops who were being told and, we were going to office out there. You know, that was my dream was to have the police alongside the CPS. And they weren't crazy about leaving downtown headquarters and the nice digs that they had, you know, and, and moving out there. And I committed we were going to move the uh, child abuse unit out there. And only later did I realize that commitment came with a big financial burden for the city of Dallas because it entailed then installing telephone lines and computer lines. Oh, and yeah. I forgot to ask my boss's permission for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was known for, you know, doing stuff like that and then going back and, you know, pleading ignorance or begging for forgiveness. <laughs> I think that's the way they say it's supposed to be done, right? Yeah, I look back now, you know, I actually signed the closing papers for the property, which I had no authority to sign back then as a lieutenant <laughs> in the police department for a house for $700,000 on Swiss Avenue. Oh, wow. <laughs> My wife jokes and said, if that didn't come to pass the way it did, we'd be living on Swiss Avenue now in the house with no heat and no lights. Uh, well, that building is amazing, though. Just the the whole look of it, the whole feel of it, the way it was set up. It was and just I think, amazing. I think it actually went on to become a children's like therapy place that my daughter went to as a nine-month-old. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, it was a crazy thing. when We we used to check in with Ruth Altshuler and tell her about what we were up to. We told her about that house, and she said she knew exactly which house it was. Because as a little girl, she lived on Swiss Avenue and used to pass that house on her way down to the doctor's building, which used to be, I guess, all the doctors were in one building downtown. And mm. she said, I remember that house with the wraparound porch. Tell them we'll we'll buy it. Wow. How wow. crazy is that? Well, you, you're you not kidding. You know, I looked her up and uh, I looked oh, at yeah. her. She is a powerhouse, you know, all yeah, of the things that she something. did. Oh, yeah. You know, in the Texas Women's Hall of Fame and you know, helped her brother, you know, in a Senate run and all, just all of the accolades, all of the money. My gosh, I think they, they said that she's helped raise over $10 million for different charities and just, you know, what a huge powerhouse. No doubt about it. I t- and I loved her. As I tell you, you know, to rub elbows with somebody like her and have her in your life is just amazing, you know, and I always refer to the center as the house that Ruth built. Yeah. Because without her, it would have never happened, really. Wow. That is so cool. 
So I'm sure there are some bumps along the way that we can we can come <laughs> back and and laugh about. <laughs> But let's introduce Lana because she works at the center now yeah. and, and she's in a unique role because I think there are many unique roles at the center for the advocacy center. And, but hers is one of those that, that gets to do some of the outreach and education. And so Lana, let's hear a little bit about your backstory. Um, we did our DCAC 101 um, episodes and people kind of got to learn about it and the ins and outs of it, but we wanted to to sort of put this part together because education and outreach go hand in hand with the conference and sort of the work that Bill's continued to do over the years. And, and it's what we're passionate about. So let's talk about what's your backstory. Tell us how you came to, you know, do this work. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is I, I've, re- I've been in this field now over 16 years working in child welfare and I started my career at Child Protective Services in Dallas County. And so that's where I worked as a caseworker. I was a supervisor. I was a, um, trainee, a trainer at DFPS, and then I became a training manager. And during my tenure at DFPS, I always heard about Dallas Children's Advocacy Center. And I actually went and took trainings at Dallas Children's Advocacy Center. And I remember meeting uh, uh, a lady named Diana, and I remember thinking, gosh, this would be an amazing place to work, and I would love to work for Diana one day. And and as luck would have it, um, there there was an opening at DCAC in their training department. And so um, while I'd had an extensive career at uh, the Department of Family and Protective Services, I was like, you know what? It's DCAC that's the place I want to work. And, um, so I applied and, and took on the position there. And, um, six months later, I became the director of the, of the training department at DCAC. So, um, I, I love getting to hear Bill's backstory because now, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm, you know, living and, and working, um, in that amazing agency. So, um, now let's, let's, put the surprises or the, the sort of the punchline on that is Diana is Bill's daughter Yes, and she yes. was in your spot before she went to another place. And, and we won't, we've, we can have a whole episode with Diana as well. I, I will say I'm equally as, um, in awe of Diana having taught with her several times. And she is a powerhouse in and of, her, of herself as far as of the work she's done. But tell us, what is your, what is your job? What, what's the role of your function there in DCAC? So my position is the director of national training. And we, we changed it to national just because through our DCAC lecture series and through our Crimes Against Children conference, I mean, we, we reach a national, a national base, really an international uh, audience. And so, um, so we added the, the title National Training Director. And um, a lot of my role is in the community, training and educating people on how to recognize and report child abuse. We believe that everybody no matter what, what capacity you are and where, no matter where you work, everyone has a role to play in recognizing and, re, and reporting child abuse. And Amen. So, yeah. So um, we want everyone to know how to recognize and report. That's one, one of my roles. Uh, my other role is as the uh, director over the DCAC lecture series. And that is thanks to the Doswell Foundation. Uh, we get a grant from them so that we can put on some really excellent training where law enforcement and prosecutors and caseworkers can attend for free because um, we were, we pay for it and then um, attendees can come for free. And then um, for the past two years, I've gotten to work alongside Bill Walsh and on our Crimes Against Children conference and working with our incredible speakers and um, getting organized with that. So um, we're so excited that we're back in person for 2022. Oh man! <laughs> don't don't say anything. We don't want to jinx it, right? <laughs> Sorry. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes, fingers crossed. Oh, no, that's super exciting. Um, did you did you have that in mind, Bill, when you started with the DCAC? What was? I can only guess it wasn't 
you know, what it is now as far as community outreach and education oh, and no. advocacy and all of the things that are in, encompassed within the center. No, I mean, it just blows my mind. You know, I thought it was more going to be like a place where we could just do interviews of children. But then as time went on, we found out that, you know, there was no CPS agency for the non-familial victim of a, of a crime. You know, where if there was a CPS involvement, they could provide therapy and stuff or get get it done. But if you were a kid who was abducted and, and victimized, you didn't have the same resources. And so then we realized that we needed therapy. So then we added therapy. But where that program is today, I got to tell you, when I look there, it just blows my mind. The holiday giving program that's going on now where they provide, you know, to some of these families that have been clients throughout the year. The, the graduations, I've watched a couple of those therapy graduations and just tore up. Oh, yeah. It will, it will make you, as, as a cop, you will right. weep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I can't imagine, like, it, it is heart-wrenching in the best possible way, right, to watch this kid go from trauma and abuse to sort of that confidence and knowing, like, hey, I can do this. I've got this in me. Yeah. The center has become much more than I ever anticipated or dreamt about due to all the great board members and staff members and volunteers that we've had over the year who've had all these great ideas, you know, on what needed to be done to improve the uh, service delivery, you know, things like the clothes closet. I mean, if you want to really see something pretty cool to see what they have, you know, that they can give to kids who, who don't have anything but the clothes on their back when they're brought in for an interview. It is really amazing how they've taken this. That's why I think it is kind of a model for the country. Not only that physical Absolutely. building is beautiful, it, you know, yeah. and the training now that they do. I mean, they never dreamt about, you know, anything like the recognizing, reporting and the lecture series. You know, the conference actually started before the center and it was really self-serving. I was just trying to train the detectives who worked for me. Uh, and then it grew. It grew from, I think, the first training we did that predates the conference, uh, predates the center, was like 50 people in attendance and, and two speakers. And, you know, now. Yeah, but now those two speakers, right, Bill? Like uh, Brian Kalaki and Ken Lanning. I mean, that's, good luck. That's exactly right. Dude, you come out of the, you come out swinging for the fence, and those are two guys to uh, really impart some wisdom. I've, right. I've seen Kalaki train a few times, and man, what an entertaining guy that he is. Oh, you want to talk about experience, too. Yeah. So I, I go way back with him, and he, he was part of a, a unit that was formed after John Wayne Gacy had killed all those kids in Chicago. Right. They started a unit to deal with the non-familial abuse of children and, and uh, child prostitution, they called it back then, and child pornography. I know we don't call it that now, but... Uh, Brian's unit was really working those street kids and stuff like that. And I met him and that was actually gave me idea to start the child exploitation unit in the Dallas police department. Oh, look we at that. We had a child abuse unit that dealt with the in-family abuse, but there was no one handling abductions or, you know, uh, sexual assault outside the home or, uh, child pornography, you know, back in the days when we first started working child pornography cases, it was people, you know, trading pictures or magazines or videotapes, not like you guys are dealing with today with the Internet images. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so now you said you came to DPD in 78. Yes. And, and so like. I'm an old-time Tony. Oh, man. Come on. Now, the that first <laughs> conference with Kalaki and Lanning, that was 88. So you accomplished all that in no, 10 no, years? No, was, uh, yeah, maybe it was. I think it was 88, you know, was the first one. And I got to tell you, what had happened was I was uh, a lieutenant by then, and I had started the child exploitation unit, and we had a grant to do that. And I had a couple of thousand dollars for training. But, you know, you couldn't really yeah. train a lot of people on, you know, a couple of grand. So I decided much to the, uh, annoyance, I guess, of my detectives rather than send them anywhere with this money, I was going to bring somebody in. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and since I didn't have to pay them any kind of speaking fee and just pay their expenses, I brought Brian and Ken in. We found a little, uh, office, uh, park in West Dallas that let us have the space for free. 
And we had our detectives and detectives from some neighboring agencies attend this training. It was one day. I think we even kicked in for the coffee and donuts. <laughs> and that's what we did the first year with that grant money. Right. And the second year, we moved it, I think, to Scottish Rite Hospital. And the third year, the Naval Air Station. And the fourth year, the center was up and running. And we moved it to a, a hotel. Wow. And each year it continued to grow. And then we decided, you know, since the center was open, it was a nonprofit agency. They became, you know, the eight entity that ran it because they could charge a registration fee. They could pay, you know, they could sign contracts with the hotel. Yeah. Uh, I think the first contract I signed uh, with the Baron Hotel, I wasn't authorized to sign, <laughs> you know, but we signed it. And as a matter of fact, if you talk to Leanne Lozano, she'll tell you how we looked at each other in such shock when we found out coffee cost $35 a gallon at a hotel. <laughs> wow. And we, were signing, we were signing for it. Well, you know, there's, there is a fine line between, between insubordination and tenacity. I've always yeah, said, I so <laughs> I think so this the, is tenacity. So the conference grew over the years and I can tell you, you know, now it's, we have international attendees, international speakers, you know, uh, what went from that two presenters, a one day affair is now hundreds of presenters over nearly a week. Yeah, it's we, we speak about it so often because it's such an amazing conference. It's just the networking alone and the, the growth and the vendors and the case studies and all of the just the topical, you know, platforms where everybody's talking. And I mean, it it's just unbelievable. And and. You know, I mean, we can't speak highly enough about it, having been attendees for so long. But I, I just yeah. want to back up two seconds. I just want to ask a question because now when you came into Dallas, you didn't mention much about what you did as a, a young man in Brooklyn or growing up prior to that. I'm assuming you weren't in law enforcement or anything. No, no, I wasn't. As a matter of fact, I, I wanted to be a fireman. Oh. Uh, I had actually taken the New York City Fire Department <laughs> test and passed it. And... uh I was on the list to get hired. And the more I thought about it, I'm afraid of heights. So it probably wouldn't work out too well. <laughs> yeah. That burning buildings. I don't know what's going yes. Anybody's thinking. So I just wonder, like when you get put in the position and you make Lieutenant and, and I'm assuming uh, kind of like our own agencies, you don't have a whole lot of choice where you're going. No, it's funny. You know, I had served in two different locations. Uh, I was in, let's see, first I was a, a Lieutenant out in, uh, Oak Cliff. And then I was transferred to Southeast and I was down in South Dallas as a lieutenant. And it's funny, I had no desire to work in child abuse or CID. I just made the, the statement to my chief at the time, the chief at that station, that it was unfair that they filled all these daytime lieutenant positions without ever advertising it. Oh, so right. he mentioned it to somebody, and a week later he says, I got you an interview downtown in the juvenile division. So I oh. went down only because if I didn't, he would have been angry at me right. because I brought up the issue. And I got the job. Well, the great thing was I was going to get to work straight days with weekends off. You know, that everybody desires <laughs> right. that. But I knew nothing about investigation, you know, never been a detective. Well, that's that's even more amazing that, you know, in that amount of time, you know, that you yeah. got yeah, all so those did, things clicking. Did you and, ever do, I know you said you weren't the detective in this, but I'm assuming you're learning as you go. I oh, mean, you're doing the interview there. So as a lieutenant, I injected myself into many cases and I think I, I was a quick <laughs> start. Uh, you know, I actually had a reputation of being a pretty good interrogator, you know. Yeah. And uh, we would eventually we took over the investigation of child fatalities from a homicide division because I made the argument that, you know, a child abuse related fatality had more to do with physical child abuse than it did to the typical homicide right. investigation. And those detectives didn't interview people who shook kids or burned kids. You know, they interviewed people who shot people or yeah. stabbed people. And actually, they made that change that we became responsible for the investigation of the death of children. And I was especially, I think, uh, adept at getting confession from people who had physically and sexually abused children. And, you know, then as time went on, we got involved with things like Internet-related cases. Before there was an ICAC program, we were actually working those cases on bulletin boards and, you know, things like that. And photo labs, you know, back when people used to develop their film. So we got involved in that. And then 
Uh, Dallas became one of the first 10 ICAC programs in the country. I wrote the grant that got Dallas funding and back in like, I think, 98, we've become one of the first ICACs. And you know that program now is blown up. And you guys are doing a great job. I I'm really have been was proud to be part of that in the beginning, how it's really saving kids and uh, catching bad guys. Yeah, it, it, it it's amazing. And we, you know, w- even through this podcast alone for over a year now, we've we've met so many different people around the country that are just continuing to do the great work. And we've gone to totally different CACs and other states and other places. And I think you're right exactly when you say that Dallas is is the front runner, you know, across the nation, I think. And I'm obviously we're very biased about yeah. that, but uh, we hear a lot of that when we go train in other places. And, and speaking of, I saw something on you, Bill, that man, you have been a world traveler going to, uh, what did I find? Argentina, Canada, China, Costa Rica, yeah. Croatia, France, Germany, Norway, Romania, South Africa, Thailand, and Japan. Yeah. Dude, I would love to see that passport and all those stamps. Well, I got to confess, though, I had the absolute best detectives and supervisors that I learned from. You know, I would go out with them on call sometime and watch how they did things and stuff like that. But then I also was able to combine that, uh, I guess, investigative ability with the ability to present, you know, and that's a big thing. And so I had people like Kalaki who put me in that uh, training world and did a lot of training for Fox Valley uh, the National Center for Mistakes Exploited Children, you know, uh, the National Center for the Prosecution of Child Abuse, you know, a lot of different. Places, right. So, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it takes obviously I agree with you a thousand percent about having the good example from the troops, you know, and the detectives and the bosses that let you, you know, do what you want to do. But, uh, man, it takes it takes uh, what we call that nowadays is called leadership. <laughs> and man, that's just speaks volumes as uh what a great leader you had to be for those guys, man. Awesome. Well, I was blessed. I was blessed with the best. I, I look back, you know, the detectives and supervisors I worked with, the center staff that I worked with, the board members, you know, I get a lot of credit that I don't deserve. I, I, I must confess, you know, for both. <laughs> I, I'm being honest with you. For both the success of the center and the conference, you know, you could have taken me out of this equation many, many years ago, and it would still be as great as it is today. Well, it had to begin somewhere, and, and I no. think. Go yeah, ahead, Bill's Brandon. being very humble, and and that's that's why that's another reason I think people love Bill so much about that. But I don't think that that is as true as he wants to think no. it is. I think that you are a vital part, even we'll, you know, we'll even agree to disagree. <laughs> every, every year, I see the there is. There are a lot of faces that look like they're looking to Bill for a little bit of calm leadership in the conference as it goes on. So um, we will say uh, now I want to come back to a few things um, that you mentioned, Bill, but I want to tie in Lana here as far as the the going back to the educational component, because I don't think people know. I mean, we sort of teased out a little bit and kind of mentioned some things, but I don't think people know how much education goes on. And I mean, you mentioned the lecture series. We need to talk about that and kind of what that is. But I also want you to just talk about day to day. What's your, I mean, education and awareness are such a vital part of, in our opinion, a vital part of ending child abuse, child sexual abuse. That's the the way we're going to do it. We can, you know, sadly, we can work millions of cases and rescue kids from these horrible situations. And that's what we, you know, want to see happen. But if we don't educate kids and taking care of themselves and protecting themselves and parents and what to look for, then it's just more and more things that are adding up. So talk to us about what you do day to day in that and what what kind of things do you take out to the community? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's like you said, we've got to be able to prevent this, right? We've Well, one, we've got to talk about it, right? We know that child abuse happens everywhere. It happens in every community, um, and, and everyone is responsible for recognizing and reporting. Um, if you are 18 and older, you know, you um, must report if you suspect any kind of child abuse. And so we want the community to be aware of that. Um, so, I mean... Day to day, like we we are out in the community presenting, um, 
we have a specific curriculum uh, that we that we've developed um, that you know outlines what are some of the signs to look for. Um, what does grooming look like? Um, you know, who do you call if you if you suspect something? You know, what do you do? And so. Um, all, all of our training is completely free. Also, I just want to go ahead and give that plug. Uh, we do get that question a lot. Well, what does it cost? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, call us anytime. We we will go out evenings. We will go out weekends. Um, any any kind of community, any group, um, our faith community. We absolutely are out there in our faith community uh, training. Um, you know church leaders, volunteers, all of that, um, any child-serving organization, um, training your, your teachers, your leaders um, on how to recognize and report it. Um, well, that's good to know, uh, Lana. Thank you. Because, you know, even though I know you guys do all that, it never really occurred to me to make a referral to you guys for that aspect. Because, you know, Brandon and I get hit up a lot, you know, from churches and just civic groups and or different organizations to, you know, go out and give a presentation about safety for their kids and, you know, tie in some sort of slight shock and awe, you know, to, to make the kids understand. And so we do that a lot. And I, you know, sometimes a couple times a month and uh, there's just times when we just don't have enough hours in the day, you know, between work and now the podcast and everything else we got going on, it gets so, uh, it just becomes a lot. So yeah. I, I don't know why we, I've never really thought about the fact that we, we can make that referral to you guys. So be prepared. I'm going to do that. He's not asking the right people, right? Lana? Cause you and I have done that just yes, we in the have. last couple months. Yes, we have. So Tony, send them our way. Um, <laughs> Guaranteed <laughs> done. Well, I say that because so Lana, I, Lana and I have presented and, and, um, she, I tried to let her just do the majority of the speaking, which everyone knows is not possible. It is impossible. That is impossible. I know. I I just had to beat, I just had to beat Tony to the the line there, (laughs) but Lana, if I'm a parent, cause I've seen what you, what you're presenting, but, but for those who are listening, who may not know, like, you know, maybe they're like. I don't know if I need to go or, or I'm looking for a presentation for my, you know, my civic group next month as a parent. And I just don't know, maybe it's too heavy of a topic or maybe we already know this stuff. Cause we, you know, we know that we don't let them go talk to the guy in the white panel van with the free candy written on the side. Right. <laughs> right. So like, what do they expect when they, when they sit down in the seat and you're showing up, you know, is it going to be doom and gloom and, and, you know, talk about, you know, terrible things. And I just don't think my, my friends are ready to hear this or what are you presenting to them? Yeah. So we're, we don't want, we're not going to scare you. Right. Um, and it, it's a conversation that, that we, we want to normalize, right. We want to make this kind of something that, that an, an ongoing conversation, right. That it's not just a one-time thing. You know, we, we throw this information at you, but no, we want it to be an ongoing conversation that, that parents have with their kids, right, about ways to keep themselves safe. Um, so, so no, it, it's not doom and gloom. Um, you know, we, we, we can have, have, some, uh, have a good time. We can laugh about a couple things, but, um, but also be serious about that, that this happens. And, and as a parent, we want you to be able to keep your kids safe. We want you to know what to look for. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about. But, but, no, it is not all doom and gloom. Um, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's a positive thing, right? We've got to, it's, it's how we keep our kids safe. Well, f- for any of our, our folks that are listening that are law enforcement, and we know we have a lot that are law enforcement that listen, uh, the, the plug I want to give you guys in regard is, is the, uh, the trainings you offer for just law enforcement stuff. The, uh, uh, I just, it just slipped my mind what we, the little the lecture term series. lecture series. Lecture yeah. Series. Those things yeah. are awesome. Like I've been through, it's so much better to be able to go to a class that you want to actually learn something versus, Oh, I got to go sit through, you know, you know, NCIC training or some, something that just scrambles your brains. And the bigger part is you feed cops, like you feed them lunches Ew. and there's no, so no, no, much. No. Hey, wait, 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 Tony, let's not, let's not give away everything because <laughs> What our bosses think is we go painstakingly hours on end to train over there. And With what no nourishment. people don't realize is that, 
the DCAC spoils us. Oh, man. And not only does training and feeds us, but does it at no cost to the departments and, like, bring in really good trainers. So, like, yeah. talk about what the lecture series is. How did that get started, if you can talk about that? What does it entail? Like, what, I mean... Who who's teaching and what kind of courses and what kind of what kind of stuff is being taught there for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how did it start? Um, I will say we we do receive a grant from the Dalswell Foundation, and I think I can give a huge shout out to them. Um, that um, they they are the ones who provide the funding that make it possible. And I want I feel oh, wait, like say we it are, again. Do- Doswell, say it again. The, the Doswell Foundation. Oh yeah, big shout out! Thank you so much because you guys are are making a huge difference, big time. Yes, and I'm I'm going to tell Steve to listen to this uh, episode. <laughs> um, so, so, so yes, I feel like it's been going on for the past five or six years now, and every year it's just it's just grown a little bit more. We're able to bring in more and more speakers. Um, but for instance, this year, uh, a couple of the big names we have coming: Corey Jewel Jensen will be presenting on um, all about sex offenders and what every MDT member needs to know about sex offenders. So nice. not just going to be for law enforcement, but we want our prosecutors there, our CPS caseworkers there, um, our therapists there, our, our family advocates. Um, so that's, that's a, a plug for one. Um, in April, we are having a two-day masterclass on the sexual abuse of children, and that's being presented by uh, three incredible guys in the field, uh, Graham Hill, Jim Tanner, uh, Larry Bronstein. Wow. They're also doing an episode or, or two classes. So Big hitters uh, there. Say, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, those are big hitters right there. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, they're also big hitters at our conference, so it's, it's neat that we can we can enter interchange. Some of our conference speakers are also lecture series speakers. So uh, that's always exciting. And um, I will say our lecture series, we are trying to do a lot more in person uh, now that, you know, things we hope are, are, are getting, you know, a little bit safer, a little more back to normal. Um, you know, we, we, we've missed that some of that face-to-face in our lecture oh, yeah. series. And so we're excited to bring that back um, in person. So, um, I'm having a search warrant class beginning of January. It is full though. Right now we do have a waiting list, but, uh, Ted Wilson will be, uh, presenting that. Um, uh, he's great. I, I went to one of his before and I mean, it's, it's always fantastic to me that I don't have to go very far, you know, just get down to the center and, you know, drink plenty of coffee and a lot of good snacks. And I get to listen to the guy talk, as an expert because he wrote the book. Like he literally wrote the book that they, yeah. And it's, it's unbelievable. And and I think uh, any new detective coming in or anybody even thinking they want to be a detective, go see this guy. Awesome. Absolutely. So, you know, that, that's what the lecture series is. I bring, we bring in different speakers from, from all different, um, fields though, right? It's not just going to be for law enforcement, but we also want to reach out to our, our therapists and our family advocates and make sure that we have training for them as well. So, And you guys do trainings in Spanish as well, right? Yes, we do. Our, our recognizing and reporting training is in Spanish. Um, we can do, I know uh, Brandon was asking me about, you know, t- when we talk to parents, it's, it's called keeping your children safe in the real and uh, virtual world. That can be in Spanish as well. Wow. So, so yes, English and Spanish. And awesome. you have a team now. We we are talking to you because you're kind of the over overseer of all of it. But you have a team of people that that work with you. And and I will speak to the fact that so our listeners have heard a case study that was presented in the lecture series, right? And in that case, we had, I mean, we had people not just from Texas, oh, but yeah. around the country that were tuning in to watch that case uh, study and we got to hear feedback um, almost all of it good but but even if it's not good that's the benefit of that kind of thing is like people from different you know training and expertise and different experience levels get to come together and sort of you know I always say you you're gonna take away at least one thing that you've never thought of or heard of before and in this job that one thing could mean the life of a child right yeah Wow. If I could just jump in here, I want to, it's so funny you said that 
because we get a lot of evaluations about the conference and the training and, you know, the center people do a great job. But I remember reading an evaluation one time from a detective who attended the Crimes Against Children conference that said he had a case that was going nowhere. The prosecutor was not going to move forward on the case. He it utilized a technique he learned at the conference. I won't say what it is, but uh, and that led to them getting admissible evidence against this suspect who then was prosecuted successfully. And he said, wow. had he not been to the training, they would yeah. have had a different outcome. And so, wow. yeah, it's great that you guys get to come down and have snacks and you're treated like royalty, but we also like to send you home with that one extra little tool in your yep. toolbox that helps you do your job better. And that's what the lecture series and the conference does. Amen to that. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to come back and talk about the conference um, in more detail, a little bit about um, some of the things that that we've talked about already. Uh, I do want to just kind of let's before we wrap up this this session together, talk, Bill, about you talked about starting the ICAC task force. And obviously that's near and dear to our hearts yeah. and sort of what was the what was it like early on here in Dallas in in starting that and what I mean you spoke a little bit about it you know and talking about magazines good grief magazines yeah. the trading <laughs> of stuff on magazines um, oh, yeah. and now and now we're talking about you know terabytes of, of right. digital files right that was a different time but but what was it like and what was your what did you run into when it came to I mean child abuse and hands-on physical you know and sexual abuse is its own difficulty but but digital back then is is it it's a new realm right yeah it wasn't even not only digital i mean we did have you know cases we used to go out to the uh places that developed film and put them on notice about their requirements report suspected child abuse there was a big kodak development plan on mockingbird that we had visited and they called us one day and said we, I have these pictures that are very disturbing. And it was a, a man with a very, very young child in a sexual uh, act. I sent a detective out there. He got the pictures and they were obviously a child being physically abused. And the, the suspect had uh, taken the film in Houston to a pharmacy who then shipped them overnight to this Kodak plant. Apparently that's what happened back then. Wow. And to have the film developed. I put that detective on a plane to cost $58 round trip to fly down to Houston <laughs> because we wanted to maintain the chain of custody. He delivered it to the Houston PD, who then set up in the store. When the suspect showed up, he was a Rice graduate student, and that was his girlfriend's child. He was arrested and I think eventually got convicted and got something like 20 years out of the deal. Wow. Uh, when my boss got the bill for the for the Southwest Airlines $58 ticket, he asked me what the hell he I thought I was doing. <laughs> and I said, you know, it, this is a trap that we laid and it paid off in this case. And we continue to do that. And then we made bulletin board cases. I actually met a guy undercover who flew in from Los Angeles. We met him on a bulletin board. He wanted to change trade uh child sexual abuse images and he turned out to be a retired air force colonel oh my goodness uh, yeah the crazy thing about that we went up seizing his mercedes benz that i drove for a couple of years uh, <laughs> sweet because it was subject to forfeiture he drove to the airport with the material in that car uh, and it's the craziest thing i got his license plate in my garage it says wgfplt world's greatest fighter pilot oh my goodness <laughs> that was that was a case made before icac and then so we knew that this was going on and when the opportunity came to apply for icac funding we applied and we were one of the 10 agencies that received that funding so we could start to get more proactive in that arena and go out and i had some really good detectives you know greg duggar and dan oh. lesher who you know went out and uh you know, like you guys do now to, you know, played the part of a child and they were solicited online and we'd make cases. And and then we stumbled across a, a huge uh, child sex abuse image case called uh, Landslide, where we had a company that was selling access to child pornography websites. That was a, a big case early in my in the in the ICAC programs career where people all around the world uh, got caught up. And if you remember Pete Townsend, the rock star. His name was on the list of people who were subscribers to that website. But that wow. was a case that was started in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, I, I give all the credit. Like, uh, man, I love Greg Duggar and 
uh, and yeah. Dan and Lori, man, I cut my teeth yeah. in ICAC with all of them. And, and I'll give credit where credit's due. Like I learned from you guys, you know, this is like Oh five, Oh six for me. Yeah. And I, when I, because we used to have these photo development places in my city as well. And so I literally patterned a letter like yeah. the, And then I hand delivered to every one of these places. And I was like, Hey, if something comes in, here's what you're supposed to do. Call me. And, yeah. uh, so it kind of went on from there. And, and, um, I remember that landslide case. I remember there was the, that operation avalanche case, I think around Oh yeah. one, like that was a man, just a massive deal. And that's why I'm saying like, what a humble dude you are, man. You, you steered the ship in the right direction, man. And, uh, man, it's, uh, it's so encouraging because we're so passionate about it and, uh, you know, just live, breathe and eat this stuff. Uh, unfortunately it just becomes, uh, something that it's just part of your makeup, you know? And, and so, man, if we can leave a quarter of the legacy that you've left, uh, we're going to be doing just fine. Well, I was, a. Uh... Uh, the right guy, I guess I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time, you know, uh, and I had all those great people around me, you know, to help me do some of those things. And, you know, a lot of that was an original thinking, too. I got to confess to that. You know, when we started doing something with sex offenders. That's because I had been out to California and, you know, the San Diego, no, San, I think it was San Jose had a sex offender apprehension program. And that gave me the idea to do something similar in Dallas. And we did a test and we found out of all the registered sex offenders in Dallas, when we sent them a certified letter, we got a ton of those letters returned saying they didn't live at the address we showed from on our records. Wow. And that told me we had a problem. And so I wrote a grant. And we started our SOAP unit, the Sex Offender Apprehension Program. Yep, I saw that. That was 97. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not an original thinker by any stretch. But you know what? That's okay. Listen, we all borrow ideas from other people and implement them ourselves. That's what makes it a grand, a grand deal. And and the conference itself allows you the ability to talk to people from other countries now, international people to figure out how they're doing it. And uh, it's just amazing. So I can go on and on and on, but I know Brandon's starting to sweat. I can see it on his shiny forehead. We're gonna, well, we're just going to give Tony a minute to to cool himself off and <laughs> and and take a break. So, uh, but we we are out of time, and we are going to continue this discussion next week with the indomitable Bill Walsh and amazing Lana Aaron's. Until then, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast, brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link.